Well, you should be smiling anyway, right? Good stuff, good stuff. Welcome today. Uh, so grateful for the chance to be able to, to share with you today and want to thank you for taking the time uh, wherever you may be today, whether at one of the campuses or mission sites or maybe on the road somewhere. We are, uh, we are grateful for the chance to be together. I'm thinking today, let's talk about the riot And when I say that, I know that might elicit several responses. Uh, one of might be, uh, I'm out of here, right? Because you, you may be thinking, man, I think I've heard all I want to hear about the riot. But I want to quickly say, hold on, because I'm not talking about that riot. I'm talking about the riot that we are reading about this week in Acts chapter 19. We're reading through the story of Acts as Luke records what happened as the church is growing, and one of the things that happens is a riot. And it's worth studying because we're going to learn, I believe, some good stuff today. The the riot takes place in a city called Ephesus, Uh, the ruins of Ephesus now located in modern-day Turkey. Um, Paul was a part of starting that church in Ephesus on what was called his second missionary journey. Now, if you're new to the Bible, you're you're new to reading through all this, when you hear people talk about Paul's missionary journeys, it, it just means Paul at times would make a loop. He makes a loop, it's a first missionary journey. He makes a a different loop the next time it's a second missionary journey. And so that's what people are talking about. Paul on the second missionary journey lands in Ephesus. The church is born, and their response to Paul is, hey, stay with us. But he says, no, I can't stay. But if it is God's will, that's his, that's his line, I'll be back. Paul leaves. In the meantime, Apollos shows up. We've been reading about him, man. He, this is a guy who apparently just incredible skill to communicate and to preach. And the power couple, Priscilla and Aquila, come alongside Apollos and they disciple him. I, I'm calling them a power couple because this couple is on mission with God. They are walking in the power of God. Now, I'm going to call a quick time out, and I want to just, again, invite, invite some of you um, to, uh, this is the way I describe it, we want to see heart of life full of power couples when it comes to marriages. Not, not because we're rich and famous, but couples who are walking out the mission of God in the power of God. And so, Saturday, November 6th, not 3rd. Last week I said 3rd, right? It's not the 3rd, it's the 6th. It's Saturday the 6th. We're gonna get together at 10 o'clock at the vault in Harrisonville. This is not a marriage seminar. We're not gonna do a lot of teaching on, on marriage. That's not the point of this thing. This is calling. Those of you who have a heart, to see marriages strengthened in our church. We're going to start about 10. We're not going to go past noon. We're going to do some praying. We're going to ask God to give us some plans and some strategies to where we can make 2022 more intentional 
about fighting for those relationships to be great, all right? So if that's your heart, I want to invite you to be a part of that. Back to the story. Now Paul, in today's story, he's on his third missionary journey. He's making another loop, and he's landed again in Ephesus. So apparently, it was God's will. What does he do? He steps into the synagogue first. That's what he always does in every city. He spent three months there, three months in the synagogue. But what always happens? There's opposition. And so it says, Paul then began to teach in a place called the lecture hall of Tyrannus. The lecture hall of Tyrannus. Now, apparently, Tyrannus was uh, just this guy who builds a place to teach his particular philosophy. That's most likely why this building came into existence. But what we learn from our story is that Paul began to take a, a advantage of that place, and he began to meet there and to teach. There are some other ancient Greek manuscripts that tell us that Paul taught there from the fifth hour to the tenth hour. That means in our time, 11 o'clock in the morning to 4 o'clock in the afternoon. That would be the hottest part of the day. That's most likely why there was a vacancy in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. Uh, nothing else was going on in there, and so Paul steps into this opportunity. It's a place where people would gather, and for every day, y'all get this, for five hours, he's teaching. Five hours. He's pouring out the truths about who Jesus is. Now, we're going to re eventually read in chapter 20 that, that Paul was not only teaching in public places, but he was also teaching house to house. I don't even know how to calculate all that that means about how much time Paul poured into the people of the city of Ephesus. Here's what I don't know what to do with. In Jerusalem, in the very beginning of our story in Acts, we saw the church explode. Now in Ephesus, we are seeing the church explode. It, it, to me, in the book of Acts, it's the two most explosive pictures we see. In both occasions, both occasions, we have a picture of the church that is in different ways daily, daily committed to gathering and learning and sharing God's word. I'm not sure what to do with that in a day where we struggle to get people to believe that an hour or an hour and a half one time a week is necessary. I don't yet know what to do with that. I just know that in the two most explosive pictures in all of Acts, their pattern was connection and daily. Back to the story. Verse 10, check it out, Acts chapter 19. We're told that this went on for two years. So, get this, all, 
all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Wow, what an impact. He says that they they all heard it. The, The dedication of Paul and the dedication of these believers in Ephesus, I think along with God's strategic location of the city of of Ephesus, it was a major port. There there was much travel. Add into that the peace of Rome and the roads of Rome. It made travel safer, made it easier. All of this provided a means for the gospel to just spread like wildfire. All of Asia Minor heard the word. That's wild. Some of you are familiar with, when you read the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible, there are seven churches that are mentioned there. Those are real churches. And many, most historians believe, all seven of those churches were likely born during this time frame of Paul's effect out of Ephesus. So here's Ephesus here. You got Smyrna, Pergamum. There's all seven churches located in this territory of Asia Minor. You can see these churches being born, and then the news just continues to multiply. It continues to spread. What we also learn is that God is doing extraordinary miracles, although I don't, I don't know miracles that aren't extraordinary. So he's doing miracles. Uh, things like even in association with Paul, like handkerchiefs, we're told, and aprons that, that, that are worn by Paul are, are then taken and like sick people are healed. I, you, you like to explain that one? No. God. And, and then there's the story of the seven sons of Sceva. I love that. It sounds like a pack in the World Wrestling Federation or something to me. The seven sons of Sceva. Here's what they're doing. They're going around trying to cast out demons, and this is their language. In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, come out. (laughs) Well, eventually, they run into an evil spirit that has this response. It's recorded in the story. you got to read this stuff. This is what he says. Jesus, I know. Paul, I know about. Who are you? And it says that the man who was possessed jumped on the seven sons of Sceva and he beat them, get this, naked and bleeding. That's how they left. I'm just saying, if you you go into a fight and at the end of that fight you're bleeding and you're no longer wearing the pants that you wore to the fight, you lost. You lost. But check out again what Luke says about the results. Verse 17, the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. His great name being known, his greatness being recognized. There's also a story in this chapter about people burning sorcery scrolls. Why would they do that? Well, the story was there were many people in Ephesus who had bought into sorcery. They, they, are, they are linked to the enemy and the dark forces, and they bring their scrolls, though, and they burn them. It is this significant picture of repentance. They're turning from darkness to Jesus. And again, Luke reports, verse 20, in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. 
When I'm reading the chapter this week, I'm thinking, man, I bet Luke had a blast writing this chapter because he's like, here's what God did and God's greatness was known. Here's what God did and it spread all over the whole world. Here's what God did and he just repeats the pattern. The evidence is there's growth in Ephesus. New believers, repentance, leaders coming to maturity. And so the apostle Paul concludes it's time for him to move on. Now, again, he's on his third missionary journey. I just want to show you real quick what this looks like. Sometimes we use these, this language and we never give people a visual of what it looks like, but Paul's here in Ephesus. And as he's ready to leave, it says that he wants to go through Macedonia and Achaia, but his goal is to get back to Jerusalem. Why, if he's here, does he want to go here and not just there? And the answer is we find out eventually he wanted to collect an offering here that was going to be brought back to the poor of the poor believers who were in Jerusalem. There's always a picture of strategy and heart that's connected to these journeys. Paul's ready to go. But where God's working, Satan is always opposing. And in this case, it's a riot. Let me show you what I mean. Let's pick it up with verse 23. Acts chapter 19, verse 23. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. Now, who's the way? That's the believers in Jesus because he is the way, the truth, and the life. They started calling them the way. There's a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together along with the workers in related trades and said, you know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see in here how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is danger, not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited, and the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. Now, I'm going to repeat, and I'm going to tell you, I believe the opposition behind this riot that happens in Ephesus is the enemy. But we also see some superficial causes, and one of those is Demetrius. Demetrius apparently is a big wheel in what's called the Guild of the Silversmiths. Now, here's what we know from history. People who were artisans of the same trade would often band together. You could think of it kind of like unions today, kind of. They did it for common profit. And so it is likely that Demetrius was the guy who who would contract out these these silversmiths to make the shrines for the temple Artemis. Artemis is the the Greek goddess that, that is connected to this temple. Sometimes you will hear the name Diana. She is the Roman goddess who is who is uh equivalent. 
right? But th- I'm just, this is huge business. Th- this is a lot of money. First of all, the building's huge. The, the temple of Artemis is almost, was almost a football field and a half long and almost a football field wide. It's huge. Huge number of people who worked within that temple and then even more masses that would come to visit it. Gold and silver were stored there. It was such a famous place that even rulers from other lands, other nations, contributed wealth to see this temple be built. They would sometimes build one of the pillars. There was more than 200 pillars in this thing. The temple of Artemis is actually known as what we know and often call one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. You probably had to put that on a test somewhere back in grade school, junior high, somewhere. One of the seven wonders of the ancient world. These silversmiths that Demetrius is talking about here, they are the guys who are probably building, they're crafting either little models of the temple or, or little images of the, of the goddess Artemis, and they're selling them to the visitors. They're selling them to the tourists so that the tourists can take these little models back home and put them in their houses or on the dashboard of their chariot. Some things never change, right? People are still putting stuff on the dashboards of their chariots. That's what they would do. In May of every year, there was a huge sporting event that happened in Ephesus, and a lot of historians believe that might be when this riot took place, when the most tourists possible are in town. This is the time that Demetrius and his buddies can make the most money possible, and he's saying, whoa, danger, Paul is teaching people that that gods made by human hands are not real. Our wallets are being affected. What a cool picture. Christianity becoming an economic problem for sinful business. How cool would it be if Heart of Life could be a part of putting sinful business out of business? How do you do that? We're going to see. His first reason Demetrius gives is this is about our wallet. The second reason that he gives is sort of this pseudo-religious reason. He basically says the goddess herself will be, uh, be robbed of her divine majesty. I think it's just a play by Demetrius to go, we need to defend our goddess because that, that sounds less selfish than this is affecting our wallet. We need to defend her, right? And, and then he goes on to say, and this is about our city. This is about patriotism. This is about that this great temple is is known throughout the whole land. One of the seven great wonders of the ancient world. This is our claim to fame. He's saying all of this is in jeopardy. Our trade, our religion, our reputation. How cool of a picture of a moment when the gospel of Jesus is affecting economically, religiously, politically, socially, in every way, It is impacting the city of Ephesus. And what I love about this little story that I think a lot of people don't realize, and maybe it's a part of why God put it in there, you've got Demetrius who is not a believer, but you know what he's doing? 
He's testifying to the power of the good news of Jesus. He is testifying to the difference that Jesus is making in the city. Just a side note here, and I don't know, but just a side note here, Demetrius is mentioned again in Scripture. Third John, it's a whopping one chapter. But Demetrius is mentioned again in Third John, and we don't know if it's the same guy, but if it is, he's a believer now. I'm saying we believe that stuff happens. We'll see. We'll see. Back to the story. Back to the riot. Check out the people's reaction. Verse 28, when they heard this, they were furious. Demetrius is the catalyst, and suddenly you got an angry crowd. They're furious and began shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Throughout the Acts story, we see an effect of the good news of Jesus that at times it makes people angry. But I want to make sure we understand the design, right? We need to make sure that if people are mad when it comes to the message of Jesus, it's because they are being confronted with the reality that he is a savior. That means they are sinners, not because the people who are delivering the message of Jesus are being a jerk. We need to say that every once in a while. Conviction by the Holy Spirit over sin sometimes will bring an anger in people. That's the design. But people being angered by unloving so-called Jesus followers who are delivering the message of Jesus, that's not the design. We do it in love. But sometimes people are angered. Verse 29, look what it says. The whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed into the theater together. Now, we don't know much about Gaius. We really don't know much at all. Aristarchus is going to show up again. He's going to show up in Rome in prison with Paul. Hmm. Seems like one of those gifts of God that God's given to Paul probably that Aristarchus doesn't get a lot of credit, but I wonder how much he was an encouragement to Paul along the way. All the way to prison with him. More of the team that God forms. This theater that is mentioned there, I, I wanted to give you a glimpse of this theater Check it out. Um, I, let's look at the second picture if we can. Can we see the second one? I want you to see it from the top. It's big. It's cut out of the side of this hill, the side of this mountain. That theater seats 30,000 people. 30,000. When you, when you scan, if you were to turn to the right from this picture, which would be turning more to the west, you're able to overlook the old city of Ephesus and even to be able to see the water the, of the Aegean Sea out in the, in the distance. Can we go back to the other one now? It was more than 10 years ago. I stood right there. Stood right there. And I'm admitting to you that I was overwhelmed 
I did not expect to feel what I felt when I stood there. But I'm standing on that little platform looking up at a 30,000-seat theater, and I'm imagining the story that we're reading today. And I'm imagining all these people with anger and shouting, and I'm imagining the courage of the believers in Ephesus and where they were willing to stand and what they were willing. My heart was overwhelmed that day thinking of their boldness. Let me show you verse 30. It says, Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province Friends of Paul sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. Don't go there. Right? It, it is faith to be in danger, to suddenly find yourself in danger, and to believe that God can deliver you if he will. Sometimes it is presumption to put yourself in danger, right, and Expect that God will deliver. All I know here is that God seems to use both the disciples and the officials. Why do the officials care? Like, these are, these are officials in, in Ephesus. Why do they care? Well, it says, it mentions friendship. Paul's been there for two years. He's probably built relationships with some of them, but it is also the case that these are Roman PR guys. And Paul's a Roman citizen. He's to be protected. Plus, they don't want a news story getting back to Rome. Riot. No, they don't want that at all. Verse 32. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. That's a riot. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander to the front and they shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. <clears throat> but when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours. <laughs> two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Now we don't, really not sure much here about who in the world Alexander is or why he was pushed to the front. Maybe it was the Jews' effort to just say, hey, this is not our fault, but whatever the reason, they wouldn't listen to him anyway, and we just see the pattern of a riot, right? It starts with a catalyst, it leads to anger, it turns into confusion, and the next thing you know, they're just, they're closed-minded. And so for two hours, they're shouting, right? Great as Artemis. But here, think about this. There's no cars to burn, right? There's no glass, there's no windows to, to shatter, there's no spray cans of paint to, to, to mark up, build it, right? What do you do? You shout for two hours. You just shout. And that's what they're doing. But the temperature is about to change. Verse 35. The city clerk, you could almost think more like the, the chairman of the city council or even the mayor. I think you could plug in that type of a title. The city clerk quieted the crowd and said, fellow Ephesians, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the, of the great Artemis and of her image, which fell from heaven? 
We'll come back to that. Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to calm down and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. I then, if then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. They can press charges. If there's anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. As it is, we are in danger of being charged with rioting because of what's happened today. In that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion since there is no reason for it. Again, I think the city clerk here is more like a mayor, more like a a chairman of the city council. They would meet like three times a month, call an assembly. The the Artemis image, I think, in this story, I I think it's most likely a meteorite. That's what most would guess, a meteorite that that had fallen to the earth, and they're attributing it to, to, to Artemis. But basically what this guy's arguing is he's promoting the goddess's power. And he's saying, come on, if, if we really are who we say we are, and if, if she's who she says she is, then nobody can stand against us. But behind the scenes, his ultimate reason is the Romans, the Roman government. Because right now, Ephesus is a free city. But Rome can change that quickly. And if things like riots things out of control begin to take place. So here's what he says, Demetrius, man, if you got a legal issue, take it to the courts, they're open. And if this is just a social issue, take it to the assembly. But let's shut down the riot. Let's shut down. I wanna go back and highlight something though the mayor says. Verse 37, this phrase They, that's talking about the church, the believers, they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. I thought that was fascinating. Apparently, the Christians in Ephesus didn't just go around blasting Artemis. Uh, Apparently, they didn't make posters and march down to the temple and slam everything they could think of. They didn't. What did they do? They shared the good news of Jesus. And when they shared the good news of Jesus, the most positive picture of truth in the whole world pushed the negative out. In other words, people who become temples of the Holy Spirit will no longer want any part of the temple of Artemis. The new forced out the old. I was thinking about it this time. I love this time of year. I do. Um, growing up as a kid in the South, we had like hot and then like one week of freezing cold and then it was hot again. That's what it felt like. 
And so to get like these seasons of fall, I, I absolutely love the temperature right now. I love the changing, the leaves, the colors. And so thinking about leaves this week, you, you, they, they starting to fall. It's the only bad time about this part of year is you, eventually you stop mowing grass, but you gotta start mowing leaves, right? You gotta do something. But some trees, right, don't lose their leaves in the winter. Some trees, they'll hold their leaves all the way through the winter and they won't lose those leaves until the spring. And you know the reason they lose those leaves in the spring? Because the new leaves began to grow and they push off the old ones. And I'm saying that's exactly what was happening in the city of Ephesus. The transformation that happened there was not because there was an attack on, on the worship of Artemis. It was the growth of Jesus' life that began to happen in the city that just automatically pushed Artemis to her place. You want to change a community? I'm not telling you that it's never appropriate, but I'm telling you your greatest impact is not a protest. The greatest impact that you can make on a community is when you start leading people to Jesus. Some of us growing up in church, and maybe you have learned much of your life to speak against false gods. You've learned to speak against everything that's wrong. And I, please don't twist what I'm saying today. I, I'm not saying that you should never speak against what's wrong because we see there are times in Scripture that, that we are to do that. But here's all I'm reminding us today. Perhaps many times we are neglecting actually the greatest weapon that we have, which is to speak for Jesus. I don't know how to say this clearer, but the greatest transformation of a city, the greatest transformation of a nation does not happen because you speak against just what is wrong. The greatest transformation happens when you speak for Jesus. The good news of Jesus that overtakes hearts and overtakes lives and then transforms the very wrong that you're standing against. God, help us as a church that we will create issues in our communities, but don't let it be because we're creating the issues. Let it be because we are declaring the greatness of our God and we are living and we are sharing the good news of Jesus and the transformation that Jesus brings causes issues in our towns. Let me give you one more challenging thought here. It says in verse 41, that after he had said this, that's the, the mayor, he dismissed the assembly. Now, I, I, this guy appears to be pretty sharp politically. He does. Um, on this day, I think he did a great favor for the Ephesians because he shut down the riot and Rome didn't have to, right, Rome didn't have to do anything about that that would have cost them. But I'm not sure that he necessarily did something great for the church. 
And you say, well, why? Because he, I mean, he stopped the riot. I, I know. I, I just want to paint a possible picture here. And the only reason I'm painting this possible picture is because this picture has been painted over and over again in church history. It is quite possible that the moment the church in Ephesus passed underneath the protection of the town clerk, the church was in more danger than they were in the middle of a riot. And the reason that I say that is because when you do your, your research in church history, too many times when the church is protected by the system, it dies. But when the church fights for its life, it thrives. Now, I'm not saying you got to like that. I'm just saying do, do the work, do the history. When the church becomes protected by the system in which it operates, it often dies. When it must fight forward in a system that even oppresses it, it thrives. Are you familiar with the last glimpse that we are given of the church at Ephesus in Scripture? Remember I told you it was one of the seven churches in Revelation? That's the last glimpse we are given of the church at Ephesus. It is a letter that is written to Ephesus. And I want you to hear what God says to them. Revelation chapter 2, verse 2, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Let's see if I can get this. He's saying, you, you guys, you, you take a stand against what's wrong. You, you are diligent about identifying what's genuine and what's fake. And, and you, you don't quit. You, you're, you're tough. Jesus says, you are a people that's fighting for what's right in the middle of a culture that's got a lot of wrong going on. But you have lost your first love. You've lost your love for me. In Ephesus, the church was still known for doing what was right, but they had lost their passionate relationship with Jesus. Here's what I want to make sure we don't miss. You can have a moral compass. You can have a moral compass. You can fight for what's genuine and not fake. You can even have a strength and a fortitude, but not really love Jesus. What happens in a culture 
when the term evangelical is no longer defined by the spreading of the gospel but becomes a cultural or a political movement. Well, we're about to find out because welcome to the American church. I'm telling you, this is somewhat a picture of where we live now where the term evangelical, when people use it, is no longer necessarily referring to the, the people of God who are spreading the good news of God. It has become a political piece of the picture. It's become a social piece of the picture. I want to encourage you today, don't stop fighting for what's right. That's not the, the, don't stop fighting for what's right, but fighting for what's right is supposed to be done in the context of coming back to an all-out in love with Jesus' heart. And the message that he gives to the, to, to the Ephesians is, you got to remember, remember your love for me, repent, turn to me, or I will remove the lampstand. That's the light. That's the influence. You will have no influence. A riot is no threat to the church. Patronage is. The church should always be the conscience in the community, but only because we are deeply in love with Jesus, and therefore our actions and our reactions resemble the deep love of Jesus. Our strategy is not to attack society. Our strategy is to share the good news of Jesus. That's what we do. Some of you may be familiar with the fact that um, Grace and Peter Assad have uh, put together a, a, a work, I'm going to call it, that I think is fantastic. Um, it kind of started with a, a blog idea, turned into some paintings. Each of these are actually paintings that um, Peter did, and, and then it, it became devotions. They've even got songs that go with each. It's a 12-part story of God. And now they're going to be cutting an album here in another month or two that goes with it. It's just a really cool project all together that tells the story of God in 12 pieces. This is a calendar, so every month you got a different, different piece of artwork, right? Different part of, the, different part of the story. That one's cool. I love that one. No surprise to you, right? These, uh, these are, I think, 40 bucks a piece. Um, when you buy them, $5 from every calendar purchase goes toward the medical mission trip uh, that we're, we've pointed, uh, believe in God's pointing our hearts toward uh, in Togo, whether that's next year, whenever it is. But every, every, every calendar, 5 bucks goes toward helping to fund that, that medical mission trip. Some of you have heard uh, the name when I say it, Mark Alford. Um, Mark Alford was a news anchor for um, Fox 4 for more than 20 years, 23, I think, years. He's now retired. And uh, just this week, Mark actually invited Peter over to his home. They kind of like neighbors, and, and um, 
was interviewing Peter about this work. And uh, I want you to see just a tiny clip of what happened when this interview took place between Mark and Peter. Can we see it? That's where these paintings came from. This is the first of the series. Uh, here's the second. All right, let's go through the by one by one here because there's 12 of them, I guess. For yeah, you bet. But so, tell me the story here. Yeah. So as as you said, this is called the story, and we believe the story of God is the most incredible story uh, in history. I don't know if you could fully hear it clear or not, but this is like a 12 minute interview. And this was the moment in the interview that I literally found myself cheering when Mark said, Peter was just going to flip through and kind of show, and, and Mark goes, wait a minute, let's go, by one, let's go one by one, there's a story here. And Peter then backs up and literally for the next, for the remainder of the interview, this is like at minute four or something, for the rest of the interview, Peter is telling the story of God from from God creating to then man turning away and Abraham and Moses and all that God does leading to God himself who will be born in a manger and, and the cross. I mean, he got to tell the whole story. Can I tell you that Mark's got about 35,000 viewers? Do you know how fast God can move his word if you will just speak for Jesus? Just speak for Jesus. And I was reminded this week that God just went, how about this opportunity? The story of God to a potential 35,000 folks. Hmm. Let me tell you about another thing that happened this week. I just want to encourage you a little bit before we head out of here. There is a, um, a couple in Heart of Life Church, DJ and Erlen Bowman. And, uh, well, there it is. I'm, we're giving away my story, all right? They, this week, um, got a call last week saying, hey, we've got um, a little guy that um, is available for adoption. And uh, within 24 hours, they were in the car, headed to another state, 12-hour drive. Last Sunday, after the message that I preached here, and I'm on my drive toward um, Lee Summit, by the time I got to Lee Summit, I had received a text from DJ and this was his text. We're on the road. He told me where they were. His declaration is, God is faithful. That was the message last week. And he said, thanks for the name advice. We're not going to name him Titius. All right? I, I love that. I love that. By Wednesday, by Wednesday, that little one was released. And by Friday, they were headed home. This is Mr. Jordan Neal Bowman. But let me tell you what this means. A little dude gonna be loved 
But the story is even bigger. Because I know that for the rest of their lives, DJ and Ellen, every time somebody asked the question, why would you do that? They will have the opportunity to tell the story of God. A God who made us, we rejected. But a God who came for us, and he brought us back and adopted us as his kids. Here's what I want to remind you today. God is always opening doors for you to speak for Jesus. Sometimes it'll be a person at a time. Sometimes a family at a time. DJ, Ellen, why would you do that? And you get to sit down with a family and go, well, here's the story of God. Sometimes it can be 35,000 at a time. Listen, it's not for you and I to worry about whether it's one or 35,000. We just are get to be a part of God's crazy math. You never know which one it's going to be. What God cares about is just the next opportunity. Tell his story. To a friend, tell his story. To a family, tell his story. To 35,000, tell his story. He's just saying, will you be faithful in the next opportunity? Church, this is how. Cities are changed. This is how nations are changed. Tell the story of God. Declare the greatness of Jesus. This is your great weapon. God, may we, your church, be the people that, yes, will always stand for what's right. God, that we will always care about what is genuine. God, that we will be a people who endure, that, 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 that we will be strong, but we don't want to do that apart from an all-out, crazy, in-love heart with you. God, I pray today, God, any part of the church that is in danger, a danger of, God, we got a moral compass, but are we in love with you? God, will you draw our hearts back to you? God. Will you return us to that which perhaps we had at first? God, a people in love with you. That our greatest weapon is not to speak against anything else. It is to speak for your great name. And that is the power that overcomes all the evil. God, I ask you to help us. God, I pray for those here today who may be it's time to respond to the story of God. Those who need to give their life to you, God, those who need to turn from darkness, God, will you give us faith today to see the truth? It's by your grace through faith in Jesus, the one who died for us and rose from the dead. You forgive our sin. You give us your righteousness. You, God, transform life. God, will you do that in us today? I thank you for your word. Help us to hear. Give us faith to believe. 
Give us courage to step. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.